Nehemiah chapter 4, a mindset to build the kingdom. Nehemiah 4, 6 says, So we built the wall, for the people had a mind to work. Um, I know uh, about three weeks ago we kind of started this, and I gave you kind of an outline of the book of Nehemiah and, and what was going on here. Originally in the Hebrew Scriptures, Ezra and Nehemiah were, were one book. Uh, in our Bible, they're separated out, but they were written as one, uh, one historical account, one chronicle, because Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, these guys, uh, they were all contemporaries, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, they were all working on the same things, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, after the 70 years of captivity. And we see here, uh, and we're going to concentrate in these few verses in Nehemiah chapter 4. And when, when I started talking about this, <clears throat> we were talking about the city of Jerusalem. And let me read a scripture to you. Hold your place there in Nehemiah. And you, if you want to turn over and, and read with me, you, you're always welcome. I encourage you to do that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a principle here um, that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46. He says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Now, he says that, the context here is, we see in verse 45, he's talking about, so it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's the natural. And the last man, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. That's the spirit. The first man, Adam, became a living being. That's the natural. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. <clears throat> there's also a principle here that we see there's a first Adam and there's a last Adam. Jesus is not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. But he is the second man. It's kind of a play on words because the, the, the name Adam means man. But it's very specific in, in 1 Corinthians 15 there. Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam in one verse, in one context. And he also it refers to him as the second man. That second man speaks of the new creation that God has brought about in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And we talk a lot in terms of, uh, you know, looking for a, a new heaven and a new earth, and one day there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But that does not mean that we are not new creations right now. We are new creations in Christ, and Jesus Christ has ushered in... Uh, this, this finished work that will bring about, will culminate in this new creation. So it's kind of like, in, in a sense, the way I think of it, it's kind of like uh, the new day, a new day. So you got up this morning, and maybe you were fortunate enough to see the sun coming up over the horizon. Um, that sun coming up over the horizon spoke of a new day. But we also know that that sun continues to rise, and then about noontime, I mean, it's, you know. So the, the day came, the day was there, 
but we also say the day is, is progressing or it's getting brighter. That's kind of the way you are a new creation. You are saved, but you are also being saved. My grandchildren are full-fledged human beings. They're never going to be any more human than they are, but, but we understand that these children are growing up to maturity. They're not becoming more human. They're manifesting more and more and more what is inherent there. The day is not, it's not any more day, but, but the day is progressing. The light is shining brighter and brighter and brighter. The sun's not changing. It's, 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 what, it's what we're able to see and perceive and what's manifest to us. And so this principle that the spiritual is first, or the natural is first, and then the spiritual. So when we've talked about Jerusalem, this natural city, we said this city is speaking of something. It speaks of a people. It speaks of the people of God. We saw this in Revelation chapter 21. We see this in Ephesians. We see this uh, in Galatians, in Paul's writings. We see that Jerusalem started out as a Jebusite city. It was a pagan city. But it later became the city of God. There wasn't anything about it. It was just this natural city that these pagan people had, but God's people conquered it and made it their own. So you see, even in this, this principle. And so here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah, where he says, so we built the wall for the people had a mind to work. And so we're likening this city, Jerusalem, to who we are. We are the people of God. So there is a work that God is doing. God is building up Jerusalem. We used to sing a song, the Lord is building Jerusalem. And the Lord is building Jerusalem. Who is Jerusalem? We are Jerusalem. We are the city. We are the bride of the Lamb. Is there a real city? Yes, there's a real city, but but don't ever forget that that city only speaks of something that's much, much greater, which is the people of God. The city of Taylor would be nothing if the people of Taylor were not in it. We could say it's a real city, but if there are no people in the city, we went to a place yesterday, Washington on the Brazos, the city of Washington. It was the first and the last capital city of the Republic of Texas. It sat on a river crossing on the Brazos River that was used from prehistoric times. It was called the La Bahia Road, and that, from that river crossing, it went all the way down to Matamoros, to Brownsville, Texas, this road. And, and here is this city that was the capital city of the Republic of Texas. You know how many people live there now? What did they say? Twelve people. Twelve people live in this city now. It's, it's just... It's really just a historic place to go in. A city is nothing if there are no people. What makes a city are the people. If there were 12,000 people in Washington, it would be far different than it is right now. You are the work of God. You are the thing that God is building up. When Jesus said in Matthew 16... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a people. 
And so as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, I don't want you to think about a city. I don't want you to think about a physical wall. I want you to think about a people. I want you to think about what Jesus promised to build. He promised to build his church. So two weeks ago, I challenged you to pray 30 minutes a day, and the challenge is still on, and I'm encouraging you to still continue to pray. Find it. Whether you've got to find it in five-minute, three-minutes, or 30-minute segments, commit to pray every day. I challenge you to pray 30 minutes a day for God to bring transformation to our lives individually, to the church, to our, our city, to our communities. Most importantly, what does that mean? That we would pray for souls to be saved and for disciples to be made. Amen? Can you think of people that you know, friends, family, who need Christ, who need the salvation that can only be found in Jesus? Pray for them. Pray that God would bring them into the kingdom. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Our prayer needs to be not just God bring them into the kingdom. Last week I challenged you to shake off your apathy or complacency. Say, hey, I'm not apathetic or complacent. Okay, but we, we have to be able to say... We look at the landscape of our nation. Let's just take America, for example. Something has happened in our nation. There is an apathy, a complacency. We would not have the problems and the issues happening in our nation if the church were really being the church, if the church was standing up as a banner of righteousness, if the gospel was really being thundered from the pulpits of this nation if the church was not afraid of what men would think of her, whether, we're gonna, uh, whether the government's going to approve of us, whether my friends are going to approve of me, what are people going to think of me, if we weren't afraid of that and we learned how to speak the truth in love, not to judge and condemn people, but to speak the truth in love and trust that the gospel really is the power of God to salvation, and that when we speak the gospel, when we live the gospel, when we pray the gospel, when we preach and teach the gospel, something powerful will really happen. That whether you can see it or not, the people that God has blessed you to be in contact with on a daily basis, whether it's friends, families, neighbors, or the people you work with, that your witness for Christ in the way you live, and the way you talk, and the way you carry yourself, and the way you share and speak the truth in love, and the way you make decisions and the things that you do, that that really is powerful to affect transformation, and that you're praying for that in. You're believing God for that to really happen, that, that we're not just going through life mindless and purposeless with no purpose, just wandering generalities that were really meaningful specifics, that we really have a purpose, that God has put us where we are for a reason, that God wants our lives to affect the people around us, and that the gospel is powerful enough to do that, and that we're believing for that, we're praying for that. And it doesn't matter whether that person uh, is appears to be saved, appears to love Jesus or not, I'm going to keep loving Jesus. I'm going to keep being a witness because I'm trusting what God is doing in their heart that I can't see. Maybe I'll never see it, but I'm still going to be a faithful witness. I'm not going to give up. What is Galatians 6, 9? Let me read it to you. This is a scripture that you should be clinging to. Galatians 
6.9. Paul writes this. He says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So, ah, you know, I've been praying for that person for years. They're never going to get saved. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, I've shared, I've loved, I've done everything I know to do with this person. They just, they, they don't care. You know, forget it. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Jesus said go. He never said stop. He said pray. He said watch. He didn't say how long. He just said do it and he left it open-ended. Well, how long, Lord, do I pray until? Until what? Until what? Until what? Until you get the breakthrough. So this week, I want to encourage you to stand together as one man. We are one body with one head. We're many members in one body with one head. A fully functioning body of believers. That's what Jesus died for. Amen? So we're going to talk about this. So let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to give you four things that we see here in the book of Nehemiah that I want to encourage us in. Verse 6, here's the first one. Nehemiah writes, he says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So we're talking about a mindset to build the kingdom. A mindset? What's a mindset? It's an attitude, it's a way of thinking. So there's two ways we can say this. A mindset to build a kingdom or a mind set to build a kingdom. We need both of them. You need a mindset, an attitude in the way you live your life that says, you know what? I have been put on this earth by God to be a participant, a worker with Him. It's a privilege God has given us. And we need to set our mind to do that work, to be used by God. To do the work of God. For the glory of God. Amen? So we need to become a people with a mind set to build the kingdom. So Nehemiah says in verse 6, he says, The people had a mind to work. So we need to set our mind to work. So that what? So that the work of God will be accomplished. There is a work that God is accomplishing in your life, around your life, through your life. And you could probably, if you just stop and thought for a moment, there's some aspects of that work that would be very easy for you to identify. There's other aspects of this work that you don't have a clue about. And this is where, by faith, we understand that God is using our lives in ways that we don't know, that we can't perceive, 
but we need to know that he is doing that. That's why our witness is so important. Your witness is not just about what you know. Your witness is more important in, in, in about the things you don't know. The people you don't know who are watching, who are listening. That's important to understand that God is always using us in some form or some fashion. So the people had a mind to work. We need to set our mind to work that the work would be accomplished. In 52 days, they completed, they joined the entire wall around the city of Jerusalem. This is amazing. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. Here's some scripture, Titus 3.1. Paul writes to Titus. The pa- Titus was a pastor. Paul is writing. It's a pastoral letter. He says, be ready for every good work. But that letter, though it was written to Pastor Titus, Paul wrote that for us. That, that's, that applies to us whether we're pastors or not. As believers, we need to be ready for every good work. That's why God recorded that for us. In James 1.25, James writes, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. If I hear, if I hear the truth, if I know the truth, James says, then we need to be not forgetful hearers, but we need to be faithful doers of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Or 1 Corinthians 13, or 3, 13 through 15. In, in these scriptures, Paul is writing to Corinthians and he says, each one's work will become clear for the day will reveal it. Do you know there's coming a day when we will stand before the Lord, every one of us? Now, the Bible is very clear. This this is the good news. You and I, in Christ, will not be judged for our sin because Christ paid the penalty for our sin. Because you and I could never pay the penalty for sin. But Paul says we will stand before the Lord one day and we will give an account of, of everything that we've done in the body and out of the body. We will, our works... In other words, our life, this isn't your works, it, it's not you deciding that you're going to go down and volunteer, you know, four hours a week at Shepherd's Heart. Boy, that's my work for the Lord, and God's going to really know. Or that you're going to go down and you're going to, you know, do mer- nursing home ministry or hospital visits. That's all great. Do that. But I'm telling you what, your work is, your work that you're going to be judged for is the way you live your life every day. In the moments whether you're alone or whether you're with your family or whether you're on the job, the way we think, everything will give an account. And the Bible says each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. And Paul says some of the things that will pass through the fire and they're going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. They're just going to burn up. But some of the things are going to be like gold, silver, and precious stone. They're going to be refined in the fire. Only that which we've done for Christ in Christ according to Christ, will last. The things that are of the flesh, you know, we have lots of good ideas. We don't need any more good ideas. We need God ideas. 
We need people following the leading of God, not just what the culture says is good or it's what does God, what has God made known to us? What has God declared to us? Those things that we do for Christ, in Christ, those are the things that will last. So the people had a mind to work. Set your mind to work. In verse 9, look at this. He says, I'll just continue reading. We'll read through this. Now it happened when Samballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. These are the enemies of God and, and God's people. And they were angry that the people of God were doing the work of God in closing the gaps and rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. They didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They didn't want the temple to be rebuilt. They didn't want the wall. They didn't want anything that spoke of God. They didn't want that to be rebuilt. But now you've had uh, Zerubbabel come back. You've had Ezra come back. Now here is Nehemiah, who is, is now seeing the wall being built. The temple's already been built. Now they're building the wall. And they've got this physical structure going up, but there, there, is, there is something lacking spiritually. But the enemies of God, they are, they are very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. This is why last week I talked to you about the reality that we have an enemy. And the enemy wants to create confusion. The enemy wants to stop the work. The enemy wants to discourage you. The enemy wants you to think that your prayers don't matter, that your prayers are powerless. Look how long you've prayed. Look how long you've believed, and you still don't see the answer. Just give up. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to give up. And this is why God has recorded in his word for us, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In other words, Paul is saying, if you guys give up, you're not going to reap. Don't give up. Persevere. Don't grow weary while doing good. Because there is a season of reaping that is coming. You're just not in that season yet. And you say, well, God, how long does this season last? I don't know. We're not the master of the seasons. God is the one who is the master of seasons. He's the one who created the seasons. And there are seasons for everything. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. See, some, some people don't even know that's in the Bible. They just think it's some song some birds wrote. But really, that's, that's Scripture. To everything, there is a season. And not all seasons are the same length. But to everything, there is a season. Don't grow weary. You'll come out of your season, and there is a season of reaping. There is. And so here are these enemies. They're angry. They're trying to stop. They're cause the work to stop. Verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. It doesn't say we made our complaint to God. We made our grumble to God. It says we made our prayer to God. The enemy is trying to create confusion. The enemy is trying to stop us, discourage us. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, because of those enemies, we set a watch against them day and night. So people, the people made their prayer to God. Set your mind to pray. Set your mind to pray and to make your prayer effectual in the work God has called us to. Set your mind to pray 
and to make your prayer effectual in the work that God has called us to. What is an effectual prayer? Well, James talks about it. He says, the, fervent, the, the prayer of a righteous man, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In some translations, it says the effective fervent prayer or the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. That word effectual in the Greek, it's, it's, it's the same word we get our, our word energy from. You could say it like this, the energetic prayer. That's why you'll see that translated, the fervent prayer. Now, that doesn't mean just because you get all worked up and, 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 and you get real energetic that, that your prayer is going to be effectual. That's what the guys on Mount Carmel did when Elijah went up there and he defeated the prophets of Baal. Elijah stood there half a day. He stood there almost all day till three in the afternoon. And these guys beat themselves and cut themselves and made a spectacle of themselves. And man, they had some energy going there. They were very emotional in their prayer. But you know, their prayer didn't avail because they were praying to the wrong person. They were they were thinking that it was that's what was. Listen, we should be energetic. We should be fervent. We should be effectual in our prayer because, first of all, we know who we're praying to. It's not going to be my energy that's going to get the prayer done. It's going to be my God who's going to get the prayer done. And there should be something that causes me to be excited, first of all, that this God of creation has given me the grace to come before His very throne. I can come right before His face right before the throne of grace and bring my prayer and my petition to him by the blood, we can come boldly, the writer of Hebrews says, boldly and with confidence to the very throne of grace. That should excite us. That should cause us to be excited about prayer. That should give us a hope that, listen, I'm coming to the God of creation. What is too difficult for him? It's what the prophet said. Is there anything too difficult for you, O God? And the answer is, no, there's not. Do you believe, Christian, there is anything too difficult for your God? Now, I know no is the right answer. No, there's not. But do you really believe it? Then why do we give up on our prayers? Then why do we get discouraged? Why do we just say, it doesn't matter? Do we really believe it? Then don't lose heart. Then don't grow weary while doing good. Then let your prayer be effectual. Let your prayer be fervent. Not out of your own emotion, not out of your own self-will. Let it be effectual and fervent because of who you're coming to. Let the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that dwells in you, strengthen your mortal body. Let me read another scripture to you while we're talking about prayer. Hold your place, Nehemiah. Let's go to, let's go to Romans chapter 8. I happen to believe this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures by a, a lot of people in the body of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse, let me see, where do I want to start? Let's begin in verse 24. Romans eight twenty-four. for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Do you get that? Hope that is seen is not hope. 
If you're hoping, look, if, if you're hoping that you're going to be able to get a new car, when you get the new car, you're not hoping for the new car anymore, are you? Because why? Because you got it. We don't hope for what we have. We don't hope for what we see. We hope for what we don't see. We hope for what is not there yet. But hope, what does hope speak of? Well, Paul tells us, look, we hope, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Well, you don't, do you? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So remember, I've said this to you before, and this is important for us to remember. Biblical hope is not, is not a question mark. I'm hoping that this all works out. What does that convey to you? If I say, if I come to you and say, you know, I'm really hoping this all works out. What that conveys is, well, I'm hoping it will, but we don't know for sure whether it will or not. It may or it may not. I'm hoping it, I'm hoping it all works out. See, our concept of hope in our modern world leaves a question mark. Biblical hope, there is no question mark. The fact that we don't see it, the fact that we don't hold it, doesn't mean that it's not real, doesn't mean that we're not going to see it, we're not going to hold it, it just means that we don't have it yet. But there is no question about the reality of it. When we talk about hope in the modern world, in our modern culture, hope is not assurance of the reality, it's hoping that's reality. I hope that's the reality of it, but I don't know. I'm just hoping. No, biblical hope says I'm hoping for what I don't see. Why am I hoping for it? Because I know it's real. Because I know it is. There's no question. So I'm just waiting. It's like saying in the midst of winter, I'm hoping for spring. Were you telling me you're not sure spring's going to come? Well, I know this year, December 21st, the world's going to end, so we don't know if spring's going to come in 2013. But up until now, we've always known that spring was going to come, right? You guys don't believe that, do you? Okay, thanks. I didn't know whether I had any Aztecs in here or not, but... No, we're hoping for spring. Why? We know spring's coming, but we're in the dead of winter. There are no leaves on the tree. There's no grass. There's nothing green. Everything is dead, brown. It's, it, it looks dead. But I know, because of the way God created the world, I know that that tree looks dead, but that tree's not dead. I know that grass looks dead, but that grass is not dead. I know it's freezing cold out here, but I know the warmth is coming. I know the new life of spring is coming. I'm hoping for it. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm questioning whether it's really going to happen. It means I'm waiting with expectancy because I know it's going to happen. Why? Because I know who my God is. This is what biblical hope is. And so, in Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about prayer. And he's talking about hoping. Now look at this. Verse 25, But we hope for what we do not see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Why do we make it through winter? Because we know spring is coming. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We don't see spring yet, but we know spring's coming because it's there. Likewise, Verse 26, this is important. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself. Who is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit Himself? Do you know that the Spirit is just as much God as the Son is God and the Father is God? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is God? That in the triune Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit, there is no lack of deity when it comes to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not some force out there. The Spirit of God is a person. He is a person in the Godhead. He is God. The Spirit Himself, but He lives in us. Go figure that. Now, in the Truth Project, we, we talked about this Sunday evening in the Truth Project. We know mathematically, do I have any mathematicians here? Infinity divided by what number? Pick a number. Infinity divided by, let's say, 120. Because there were 120, the Bible tells us, in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Infinity divided by 120 is infinity. The Spirit of God filled 120 people on the day of Pentecost. Was the Spirit of God diminished because He had to divide Himself 120 ways? No. Infinity divided by any number is still infinity. So if we want to say it this way, God poured out into as many believers as you want by the Holy Spirit is still God in His fullness. I don't have a little piece of God living in me by the Spirit. I have the fullness of God living in me by the Spirit. And this is the Spirit. The Bible says, look at this, Paul says, for we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit Himself. This is the fullness of of the God. This is the same spirit that hovered over the, 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 the darkness at creation. This is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on that third day. That spirit lives inside of us ever to make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is not you praying in tongues. This is not you thinking about all the things that you need to pray about. This is the Spirit in spite of you, in spite of what you can't put into words, in spite of what you don't even know what to put into words. This is the Spirit of God inside of you. How often? Always. Because does He ever leave you? No. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Once God put His Spirit in you, He will never take His Spirit out out of you. He will never withdraw Himself from you. That Spirit in you is making intercession on your behalf. And how does the Spirit pray? He always, always, always prays the will of God. Do you know what the will of God fully for your life is right now? Who knows? Somebody tell me if you know completely Absolutely what God's will is for your life. I mean, we can, we can say in a big picture, hey, I'm going to heaven, okay. But do you know everything God has? No, you don't. You know who does? 
the Spirit on the inside of you. And He doesn't pray on your behalf just when you activate Him. Honey, if that's the case, then you're God and He's not. He's not waiting for you to activate Him. He's in you and in spite of you and in spite of me, He's praying right now the will of God on our behalf. Because he knows not only what's going to happen in the next second, he knows what's going to happen in the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. He knows what's going to happen 42 years from now. Three hours and 57 minutes and 13 seconds, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Why? Because he's God. And he is praying and he is interceding so that when you get to that place, it's all It's all the way it's supposed to be. Now that makes your mind and my mind go tilt. Because I can't comprehend that. But This is exactly what Paul says. The Spirit knows. We don't know in our weakness, but He knows. This is why we have hope. Now I don't know exactly when the green is going to bud on the tree. I don't know when the bloom's going to break forth. I don't know when the green's going to shoot forth from the deadness, but I know it will. Now, the Spirit of God knows the exact millisecond that it's going to happen. I don't. I just know that it will happen. Why? Because God's promised me. And the Spirit of God's going to make it happen. You don't know exactly what's going to happen in your life, but I'm telling you what the Spirit of God knows exactly. You don't have to know exactly. You just need to know the Spirit of God on the inside of you is ever making intercession on your behalf, and he knows the will of God even when you don't know it. There are times when God will reveal his will to you. There are times when you are clueless, but the Spirit is never clueless, and we are never without hope because the Spirit lives on the inside of us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and he is making intercession for us even when we don't know how. Sometimes I think it's better that we don't know how. Because he can pray for us a lot better than we can pray for ourselves. But in the grace of God, God allows us to join in and be partners with him. It's our privilege to come before the throne of grace. This is why our prayers should be effectual and fervent. Because I know the spirit inside of me is making intercession on my behalf. I don't have to wonder whether the enemy is going to thwart the plan of God or not. He can't thwart the plan of God. He can't do it. Can he make life rough for you? Yes, he can. But I'm telling you what, it is only an illusion in the mind of the enemy for the enemy to think that he can stop the plan of God. There is not any example in Scripture that we have. There's no example where we see that the enemy has gotten over on God. None whatsoever. Why do we all of a sudden want to think that now, all of a sudden, the enemy's going to get one over on God? That's not hope. See, hope says it doesn't matter what it looks like. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. doesn't matter what it looks like. My hope is in God. Does it always turn out the way we want it to? No, it doesn't. But where's our hope? Our hope is still in God. So we need to be a people with a mind set to pray, and we need to make our prayer effectual in our work. The Spirit helps in our weakness but the Spirit himself makes intercession, Romans eight twenty six, Praying always with all prayer, how in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Effectual 
fervent prayer of a righteous man, James 5, 16. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The very fact of praying, of humbling ourselves, of understanding that He is Lord and I'm not, it's in that position that God pours His grace out into our lives. So the people had a mind to work. The people had a, 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 they, they had a mind to pray. They set their mind to pray. The people set a watch. Look at verse 9. We made our prayer to our God, and because of them, because of the enemy, we set a watch against them day and night. The people set a watch. We need to set our mind to watch. Jesus said, what I say to you, Mark 13, 37, Jesus, this is the words of Jesus, and what I say to you, I say to all. That means us too. Watch! Exclamation point. Watch. What does that mean, watch? It means be vigilant. Be aware. Be attuned to what's happening. Do you watch? Do you watch what's going on? around you? Do you watch? The people that God's put around you, do you watch them? Do you see the things that are happening in their lives and and are you being watchful? Maybe in a way that you can pray for them, a way you can reach out to them, or are you watchful also? You see how the enemy might want to use somebody, even unknown, unknown to them. You know, most people that We say, man, they're just a tool in the hand of the devil. They're not a tool because they want to be a tool. They're they're just, they're lost. Someone that's lost without Jesus, you you realize, the God of this world has blinded them that they might not see the glory of God. Do you think a person like that could be used by the enemy to try to affect you, to affect your faith, to affect your witness? Finally, you just lose it one day and you just, you know, you just let them have it really good. We need to be watchful. So, you know, I'm not going to fall into that trap. That's what the enemy wants me to do. The the enemy wants me to react this way to this person. The enemy wants me to to say this, to do this. I'm not going to, because I'm being watchful. I'm, I'm watching how things are happening. I'm aware of the schemes of the enemy. I'm aware of how he might try to use those things against me. Watch. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. Watch. We need to set our mind to watch to remain sober and vigilant in our work. And then he says this in verse 14. So he goes on, and they're coming, they're doing the work, and people are coming and say, you know, they're going to come out of nowhere, they're going to attack you, they're going to they're kill you. When you least expect it, they're just going to come out of nowhere, and they're going to get you. This is, this is what was coming to them. And this is why they set a watch. So it says in verse 12, let me read it. So it was... When the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told them, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked 
and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Do you know the greatest weapon the enemy has is intimidation? Is creating fear in your mind. And if he can create fear in your mind and intimidate you, he can confuse you, he can cause you to stop the work, he can cause you to lose heart, he can cause you to grow weary. Don't allow the enemy to intimidate you. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your houses. And when it happened, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plan to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. When the enemy found out that God had brought their plans to nothing. Why? Because they were revealed. God in his word has revealed the plan of the enemy. You know the enemy has no new plans. He uses the same plan he's always used, fear and intimidation. He'll get you to believe the lie. What are we to do? We're to keep our eyes. We're to remember the Lord, great and awesome. The situation they were in was really, it was a real situation. There were real enemies who really wanted to stop them. And we can be intimidated, we can be fearful, or we can remember God. Say, so, yeah, but, but why doesn't God just make all these people just go away? Well, I don't know. Why does God let the winter come? Why does God let the heat come? Why does God let the drought come? Why does God let the floods come? I, I don't know. God's got a reason and a purpose for everything. Do we trust him as the creator of heaven and earth, or do we not? I say we trust him. So we need to be people with a mindset to work, a mindset to pray, a mindset to watch, and a mindset to fight. So here's what I want to do. I want you to think about this. Now, I asked you to pray two weeks ago for salvation, right? For transformation, for God to move by His Spirit. Last week we talked about Feeling, shaking ourselves and feeling and knowing the glory of God. Not, not just the circumstance you might find yourself in, but shake yourself from that and remember the Lord, great and awesome, and who He is. Is there anything too difficult for Him? No, there's not. Our hope isn't with a question mark. Our hope is, is just, it is certain It speaks of something that is real, something that is certain, whether I can see it, whether I can hold it yet or not. It's real, it's certain. That's my hope. That's why I have hope in it. So when we talk about a mind set to work, to pray, to watch, and to fight together, how did they do this? This really happened. They did it as one man, as one people. All of these different families, all of these different people came together, and as one man, they built the wall. They did it in 52 days. To stand as one man, 
to do the work of the kingdom. To stand as one as we participate in building the church. That we would watch, that we would pray, that we would fight, that we would work. Now, if a builder is building a wall, remember I, I told us, I asked us to pray for salvation. What are we commissioned to do as believers? The Great Commission says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples, right? So if a builder is building a wall and he asks for a stone, why do you think a builder asks for a stone? Because he wants to put it in the wall, right? So if a builder is building a wall and he asks for a stone and he doesn't place the stone in the wall, then what's... So the very fact that the, the wall builder asks for a stone and brings a stone, his intention is to use it. So earlier when I talked about us praying for salvation, there's a way, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. We can just pray for salvation. And God wants to use your prayers and your prayers are effectual and fervent. But God has called you to do more than just pray. He's called us all as believers to what? To be disciples. And as disciples, what do disciples do? They make disciples. So if we're praying for salvation, we need to do more than just pray for salvation. It'd be like, it'd be like a wall builder, a builder asking for a stone, and the stone is brought to him, and it just sits there, and it's not used. You get a bunch of stones sitting around the ground, you know what? Not only are they not useful, they can become a hindrance, right? Because you're tripping over them. So when we pray for salvation, we need to be wise in our prayers, and we need to, to think we need to think about what God's really called us to. If God's called us to be believers, and you're not going to be a believer if God hasn't called you to be a believer. Jesus said, no one comes, no one comes to me lest the Spirit draws him. No one comes to the Father lest the Spirit draws him. Only those that are mine are those that the Father has given to me. So the very fact that you're here today and you confess Jesus as your Lord means God's called you to salvation. The Spirit of God has done a work of salvation in your heart. So now, what do we do? Do we just sit here until we all go to heaven? Or are you here for a reason? When you, if you build a wall, do you realize that each stone in that wall serves a purpose for the other stone? And the only way a wall can be built is by multiple stones being put together. So no stone by itself can build a wall, and no stone disconnected or not connected to the other stones can make a wall, right? If we just go out there and put a bunch of... Conway's building columns right now. The reason he has columns is because he's, he's connecting all those stones together. If we just went out there and put a bunch of rocks out there and disconnected, we, we couldn't say that we really have a wall, do we? No. He's got a bunch of rocks out there now that we're going to have to deal with that serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever. 
But if we begin to build, if we want to really build a wall, we understand that each stone placed is placed there for another stone. There's a stone on one side. It's placed for the stone that's going to come next. It's placed for the stone that's above. It's placed for the stone that's beneath. You're in the kingdom for a reason. You're called to be a builder. You are called to have a mind to work, to build Jerusalem. Now, who is the master builder? Christ is the one building. But if we are, as Peter says, lively stones being built up into a habitation, then then we're here for a reason. We're here for one another. We need to have a mindset to work for one another. We need to have a mindset to pray for one another. We need to have a mindset to watch for one another. We need to have a mindset to fight for one another. So the Bible says that we are a body, a body that is connected together, healthy and functioning. It works, doesn't it? And when your body's not connected well and it's not functioning well, it doesn't work and you know it, right? So we're called a body. We're called to work together. Do you realize that we're also called the temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. We are a temple. We should be a place. Listen, when we come together, there is a power when we come together as a body. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should have a mindset to pray for one another. There's a reason why we bring these prayer requests and we pray for people that have various needs. And we we like to do it and we like to mention it on Sunday morning because we need to be praying for one another. But our prayers are not just about the physical or specific needs that we might have personally. Our prayer is also about how we are functioning together as a body, how we are praying together as the temple of God, how this wall, the structure that God is building, how is it being built up? It's not being built up without one another. It's not being built up apart from one another. It's being built up as we are joined to one another in Christ. So as a temple, we're called to pray for one another. We're called the family of God. We're called a family. Families do what? They watch out for one another, right? We're called to watch for one another. When you come to this place, whether it's Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever, this is why we encourage you to come early. Come early, drink a cup of coffee, come to Bible study, eat donuts, whatever. Come early enough where you can talk and, and, and interact with people. Because as you talk with them, as you fellowship with them, as you're connected to them, not just here in this place, but in other ways. This is why we try to make opportunities to do things like we did yesterday. That we're able to look at people's lives. We're able to watch. And we know how to pray. Or we can rejoice with them. Or we can cry with them. We can provide comfort when comfort needs to be provided. We can rejoice with them and celebrate with them. Or play and just have fun. That's what families do together. We're called the family of God. We watch out for one another. We watch for one another because we understand there's an enemy, there's an adversary out there seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes you get down, you get discouraged, you just grow weary. You need someone to come along. Listen, this is what moms and dads and sisters and brothers do, right? 
You say, don't get discouraged. Don't be sad. Have you ever had your kid come in and say, don't be sad, Daddy. Don't be sad, Mommy. And instantly, there's just something that happens. Listen, we're a family. This is what we're to do with one another. This is how we're to live life with one another. This is how we watch for one another. And we watch for the opportunities that the enemy may take, but we also look for the opportunities that we have for good. And it says they fought together. You weak read on, we won't do it now, but you read on in Nehemiah and it says they held a sword in one hand and they had a tool in another hand. They had men that worked all day. They had men that held weapons and watched all day, ready to fight. This is what an army does. The Bible likens us to an army. We are the army of God. Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. Jesus is called the captain of the host. Armies fight. How do they fight? They fight as one man. They fight together. We can't be so naive as to think that we don't have an enemy that wants to stop us, confuse us, and hinder the work of God. But we need to understand who our captain is, who our Lord is. He is great and he is awesome. But we need to be ready to fight. And we need to fight against the enemy that would try to oppose us and stop us. The wall had to be built. And they didn't let the enemy stop them from building the wall. Jesus said the church will be built. Do you understand that you've been given a privilege to be part of that process as a child of God? The work isn't going to happen magically. It's going to happen because men and women and children are going to get out there and they're going to put one rock on top of another, one rock beside another, and they're going to piece by piece, stone by stone, build a wall. Who's going to give them the wisdom, the life, the energy to do that? God is. But God will not build His church apart from men any more than the temple, the city, and the wall of Jerusalem were built without men. Men who set their minds to work accomplished the task. Church, we need to set our minds for the work that God's called us to, to build His kingdom. And it's not in here. It is in here, but it's out there. It's where you live. It's where you work. It's with your family. It's with your neighbors. It's with people you don't even know, but you see them from afar. I'm going to tell you, I want to encourage you, I'm praying for our neighbors here. There's people that live across the street in that corner, I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying for them. I'm praying that God, they don't even know I'm praying for them. There's people around here that, that I see, I just started watching. I was reading this and God just challenged me, are you watching? Are you watching what's going on? And I just begin to watch what's going on. Just right here in this little neighborhood. The places and the people you drive by every day, just ask God to show you. Say, God, I want to I be watchful. Show me, God, what I'm not seeing. God will begin to show you. And you can begin to pray. And I believe your prayers can be powerful. Whether you know those people personally, whether they even know you're praying or not, it doesn't matter. And out of that, God can open opportunities. Amen? Set your mind to work. Set your mind to pray. 
Set your mind to watch. Set your mind to fight. We have a work to do. We have a work that needs to be accomplished. God has given us the grace. He has given us His Spirit. We are more than able. Amen. Let's stand. If I could encourage you to pray like never before, I will encourage you to pray like never before. We're called to go and bring in a harvest, but we can also pray that God will make it ready. You know, one of my prayers is, God, just put it upon the hearts of these people. They just wake up one one day and say, you know what? I'm curious about God. I'm curious about that church. I'm, you know, I think I'm just going to go find out. I don't know why, but I'm going to church today. You know God can do that. God can do that. But don't just wait for God to do that. Go out and love them. Speak to them. Reach out to them. Make disciples. Find people. Pray that God would show you. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. God, you deliver us from blindness. Lord, we all suffer from blindness and deafness in some form or fashion. I believe that. But you're a healer, God. And you can heal us of our blindness. You can heal us of deafness. You can heal us of hardness of heart. God, the walls and the things that we build up around us, God, you can cause those to come down. And I pray, Father God, you would use us for your glory. I pray, God, you would bring correction to us. I pray, God, that you would bring encouragement to us. I pray, God, that you would help us to not be fearful, that you would show us that you are the Lord, great and awesome, and there is nothing that we have to fear, and that you have equipped us. And if we are ill-equipped, God, you will make sure that we are equipped. No work that you call us to, God, do you call us to without equipping us to do it. So, Lord, if we'll be faithful over the small things, the little things that we are equipped to do right now, God, the promise that you've given us is that you'll make us faithful over greater things. Father, I pray that we would become faithful over the small things right now, that Christ Fellowship Church would begin to just walk in faithfulness over the small things that you've entrusted to us. Help us, God, to be faithful workers for your glory. For one another and for your glory, most importantly, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.